what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 6. Welcome back from the weekend, Julia. Thanks. <laughs> uh, minute 6 begins with Roop taking the wheel to rejoin the chase, and it ends with Goose extolling the virtues of wearing a seatbelt. So, we actually start this minute technically on the line that we spent a bunch of time talking about back in minute five, the whole I don't have to work with blasphemer. Right. Line. It was definitely worth keeping that with the first half of its line. Yeah, I feel like we definitely would have lost out a little bit of the the charm of that line in its delivery if we had split it up. Yeah. So I'm kinda glad we we kept it all together. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Roop takes the wheel and pulls back onto the road. I was on IMDb today, yeah, and I found an inconsistency in the filming. When Roop rips the hood off of the car and it falls onto the ground, mm-hmm. according to this inconsistency, the hood falls with the top facing down on the ground, you know, which kind of makes sense. He rips it off, flips it over, and then it lands on the ground. But when they pull away from the curb, the hood is right side up again. The main thing I've got to wonder is... What happened to that hood? Yeah, uh, considering that, as we've said many, many times, the low budget, you know, they didn't take a lot of, they didn't do a lot of takes. So I'm kind of wondering, yeah. And not even just real world, like in universe, like is there someone that goes along the highway and picks up pieces of cars and then like says, oh, well, this is very clearly the hood to an MFP interceptor. I should probably bring it back to the Halls of Justice and try and sell it back to them. Because that sounds like a pretty lucrative business plan. Well, it does when Roop and Charlie are around. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, they, I'm wondering if there's also a car out there with like bits and pieces of the body from different cars, a bumper, hubcap. In that case, finding an entire hood would be like gold. I have to say that's jackpot because that's a huge sheet of metal. Yeah. But I imagine that there really isn't anybody. I imagine that the roads are littered with detritus of just whatever's going on. So Charlie and Roop get back on the road and they're driving. We get another I Am The Night Rider calling through the radio. Mm-hmm. And then Roop, who is driving now hits the call button on the radio and does his little, you know, oh, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. While he's talking, we get a quick shot inside March Hare, and Sars and Scuttle, like, exchange a look. Oh. And it almost looks like Scuttle is, like, fighting back a laugh as yeah. if he knows how ridiculous Roop is. <laughs> yes. I That look was priceless. It was nice and subtle. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to say anything, but we know we both know what they think about probably more Roop. Than Roop and Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Charlie just, he could do so much better. Yes. In the the little moment when Roop is taking it personally, what happened, the, the spin out, he makes a comment. I think he says, the skag and his floozy, they're mm-hmm. gonna die. Mm-hmm. So I looked up skag. Okay. On Urban Dictionary, of course. And didn't find anything that applies to this situation. Skag is a slang for heroin, the drug. Or it could also be a combination of skank and hag. Huh. 
So that, yeah, it doesn't really fit. So I, I feel like it's more of an old school Australia term. Probably. Do you remember back several years ago when my friends and I used to play a lot of Borderlands on the Xbox? Yes. Borderlands, Borderlands 2. There are enemies in that game called Skags, and they're kind of like dog-shaped things with That's these weird right. like flappy mouths. <laughs> yeah. The general aesthetic of that game is very Mad Max-ish. You know, yeah. when you consider like the second and third movies more so than the, the first one because it's like a junky raider space planet yeah. type vibe to it. Yeah. So I'm sure it's not a direct reference back to Mad Max because Skag is such a universal term used in so many different circumstances. But it is kind of nice that there is a slight connection there. I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely noted that Roop taking it personally is definitely him taking the embarrassment that he feels at being involved in a spin-out. And not only being involved in a spin-out, but shooting a road sign instead of shooting the suspects. Like, that's a major embarrassment for him. And so he's obviously trying to just be super macho and redeem himself to the guys from this little accident that they had. Yeah, he's definitely, like, overcompensating. It's that toxic masculinity seeping into things, huh? Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After we get Roop saying that Knight Rider and his girl are going to die, we get a quick shot of the Pursuit Special seemingly alone on the road, where before March Hare was right on his tail, now it seems they've gotten enough of a lead to be shown on their own. And what I think it happened is I think March Hare slowed down so that Big Bopper could catch up, because... We'll see tomorrow that when they show up next time, they're like right next to each other. So I think that's why we get that singular shot of just the Knight Rider flying down the road. Yeah. Also, I think when Big Bopper and March Hare and Knight Rider were, were coming up on the intersection and Knight Rider slammed on his brakes... Big Bopper spun out, ended up on the side of the road. March Hare didn't take any damage. Nothing bad happened to them because they probably saw what was coming and slowed down. And so it's going to take them a little while to recover from that. And I don't think they have a V8, so they don't have the acceleration that Knight Rider has. Knight Rider did have to recover from that slamming on the brakes, but I think he was able to do so more efficiently than March Hare. Oh, definitely. So after we see the Knight Rider, we get a nice smooth fade into the exterior shot for Fat Nancy's Cafe, which is also a gas station. I found a website called uh, themoviedistrict.com, and they have a specific page for Mad Max, and it's kind of a depository of actual movie locations. I found their entry for Fat Nancy's, and it was a pre-existing building before they came and used it for a location. And you can kind of tell as you watch the the minute, the, the letters that are up on the roof, they're kind of strung up there. They don't look super sturdy because, yeah, they were just thrown on top of a building. And in fact, the pictures that I saw of the actual building, which is called the Pretty Sally Roadhouse, it has that charcoal grill sign on the side of the building still because that's just what it looked like when they came to shoot there. I tried to jump on Google Maps to see if the building still looks like it did back in 79, but the brush and the trees have grown up around the building so much that you can't actually see it from the road, and there is a gate that keeps vehicles from driving up by it because the whole place is pretty much used as a junkyard now. Oh, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a story behind the name Pretty Sally. It turns out that 
Pretty Sally, or Pretty Sally Hill, is a dormant volcanic cone located between Wallen and Kilmore in Victoria, Australia. The hill is skirted by a section of the Northern Highway, which was formerly part of the Hume Highway. By the 1930s, Pretty Sally had gained a reputation as a notorious road accident black spot due to a sharp turn near the crest of the hill. Oh, okay. Also, while I was looking up information about Pretty Sally's roadhouse, there was a Tumblr post that I stumbled upon, and a couple of the comments underneath said, could you imagine a TV show set at Fat Nancy's Cafe, not so much dealing with any of the MFP stuff, but just dealing with normal people as, you know, society is falling apart? And I'm like, okay, that would be a pretty tricky one to pull off, I think, because... I, f- I imagine it would be kind of a mix of mash and cheers. <laughs> you know, you've got your, your core set of regulars that are always coming in, but then you've also got this dour setting of civilization just falling apart and resources getting more and more scarce. I imagine they'd have to walk a pretty fine line between drama and comedy. Yes, um, but that does seem to be the specialty of modern movie and TV walking that line between drama and comedy. Hmm. Over the radio, we can hear the dispatch calling for Gosling 1, the code name for Goose. Hmm. And that just tickled me a little bit. Yeah. I was actually about to mention that too. Jim Goose is his name. Yep. Goose is his last name. And they just happened to give him the call sign Gosling 1. And I thought, well, hold on. Goose is a pretty good call sign because of Top Gun. But... Top Gun didn't come out for another seven years. Right. 1986 is when that thing dropped. I'm pretty sure when 1986 rolled around and they had a a character in the movie whose last name is not even remotely related to Geese. His call sign is Goose. I would like to think that that's kind of a callback to Mad Max, but I got to remember that Mad Max wasn't like a huge movie. And I don't think that the producers of Top Gun would really latch on to that. You never know. Yeah, never know. It reminds me of a bit that always makes me smile in TV show West Wing, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, There's an episode, I can't even remember like around what season it is, where the press secretary character, CJ Craig, happens to overhear the Secret Service talking about her, and they call her Flamingo. And if anybody knows the the show or Alice and Janney, she's very, very tall. And uh, it was an amusing little moment. And so I think taking the opportunity to make someone's code name amusing is a common trope. So aside from his call name just being a version of his actual name, this is the first example in this movie that we see of Goose's radio being turned on when he's not around his radio. And I gotta wonder why he would leave his radio. Now, obviously, it's attached to the bike. It's not like he can bring it with him all the time. But why leave it on where someone could mess with it? Right. I think in our society now where, you know, we have law and order, that would be, I would imagine you know, against regulation, and that officer would probably get into trouble. They would probably also get into trouble for not being on the bike. Oh, yeah. Not being even near the bike. It's not like he had, like, gone to the bathroom or something. He was inside having a meal Mm -hmm. with no care for what might be going on on his radio. Mm -hmm. And that could have had dire consequences. Well, I mean, we were talking last week about the fact that Max was on the side of the road with his hood open, actively working on his car. Yeah. So he's off working on his car. Goose is having breakfast at a diner. It's like these guys aren't 
concerned with actively patrolling the roads. And it's one thing for Max to be right by his car within earshot of the radio so he can at least start preparing to join the chase. It's another thing for Goose to be not only like far away from his radio, but like in a completely different building, not even remotely close to hearing the calls for backup. Granted, they're still treating it like a Code 44 with no big deal, but even so, you know, he needs to be (laughs) attentive when he's on the clock. He's a very poor employee. We go from the unattended motorcycle with the radio blaring into Fat Nancy's, and right by the front door is a sign that says, if you can't smell it, we ain't got it. That just seems like a poor way to... Show off your specials? Because, okay, there are a lot of things in a cafe or a diner that they can have in abundance that you might not necessarily smell walking into it. Like toast is really easy because you have a loaf of bread and you slice it however many ways and you always have toast, but you're not always going to be smelling toast because you just throw it in the toaster for like a couple of minutes or throw it on the griddle. If you have food stores, you're not going to be actively cooking those food stores all the time because at a certain point, food just stops being edible because it starts to burn. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you should it, that you should read it that way, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. You're you're very logical. I actually read it kind of the opposite way. Is it's very reminiscent of that kind of down home local, you know, diner, which we have both been to, and we love them. It's the best food around. That is, you know, nonsense, a little bit sassy. Everybody knows what's on the menu. You don't need to you don't need to advertise what's going on. Everybody who's there is regulars. So we have a diner that we go to with your parents, the early bird, and we don't even get menus anymore. Yeah, half the time I can just tell them what I want and they'll make it for me. Right. So I I found it... Charming? Yeah. uh, Charming, comforting, like home. Yeah. I liked it. (laughs) When you're at Fat Nancy's, you're family. (laughs) So departing from the line of thinking that we were just participating in, there are several theories floating around that the sign being on the table right by the door, if you can't smell it, we don't have it, is also a sign of diminishing resources in the area. The idea that because society is starting to crumble, that maybe they don't have copious amounts of more obscure ingredients. Eggs and bread and cured meats, those are always going to be easier to come by. But Right, but maybe fresh vegetables, you know, are, are getting harder. Yeah, things that you'd have to order from further away. I don't think, like, fancy yogurts. I don't think they're going to have yogurt on the menu because that's something well, that's very pasteurized that has to yeah. be refrigerated as it's moved around. That didn't strike me as the type of place to have yogurt on the menu yeah. anyways. Probably not. But here I am thinking on the spot trying to think, oh, gee, what's an exotic sounding (laughs) breakfast ingredient? Yogurt was the first thing I thought of. I think that says more about me than it does about the movie. Omelets? Omelets are just eggs. And vegetables. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to argue about breakfast. No. Let's not ruin something that's just pure and beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) What did you think of Goose's story that he was telling the patron across the table? Okay, so I had to listen to the story like oh, four or five times to like to picture the sequence of events in my head. And yeah, it's delightfully gory. Interestingly enough, the story kind of reminds me of a cautionary tale that I was told back in driver's education mm-hmm. back when I was 16. The instructor told us that if we are driving without a seatbelt 
and we hit something. There's a possibility that we'll be going at just the right speed where our heads will go through the windshield, but because of the way windshields are layered with the glass and the plastic and the glass to be completely shatterproof, your head can go through the windshield, but your shoulders won't. And so it's not so much that you'll bounce off a tree, but the windshield will actually catch you, hold you in place, and then kind of pull you back as it flexes backwards. And so you sit there at the site of your car accident with your head sticking through this little hole of glass, which was big enough for your head to go through when it was flexing. But now because it has contracted, it's actually smaller than your head. So you are essentially wearing a glass collar as you are damaged from this car accident. That sounds absolutely horrific. I know, right? If, if you're going to make 16-year-olds wear their seatbelts, oh that's, that's one thing to do it, right? Uh-huh. I think it also tells us that the sort of behavior that we have seen so far is not necessarily unusual. That, you know, maybe there's other car chases that they have participated in and other horrific crashes that they have witnessed. And maybe that explains why the dispatcher was so adamant about, like, being calm and orderly about the whole thing was because... Because the last time they did this, the guy flew through the windshield, bounced off the, the tree, flew back without a face. And that stuff happens based on this story without the main force patrol being involved at all. Like, they just came up on this guy because they were, got a report of the crash. I mean, he wasn't even, like, involved in a chase. It was just he hit a tree. Yeah. I mean, granted, Goose doesn't say specifically that this was a simple call that they responded to and he wasn't involved in the chase. But... If it's not directly said, it should not be necessarily applied. True. Which is a terrible rule to have because we're going to do yeah. a just metric ton of speculation, speculating. Yeah. We're turning one minute into a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> because we're speculating a yeah. lot. But yeah, I can definitely sympathize with the patron because the idea of someone trying to scream with their face ripped off, just it's not the most savory idea. Nope. So on that gory note... <laughs> <laughs> Our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number six. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, so it's your feeling.